gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, Episode 6, the review segment for Friday, January 17th, 2014. Patches is off in Utah, but he still gets uh, phone service there somehow. I'm not really sure how the Pony Express has worked that out. Uh, and he's uh, joining us to review Spike Jones's Her, which you might have heard us talking about a couple weeks ago in our Top 10s episode, but is now opening wide in the United States. So we thought we'd take the opportunity to talk about it in detail. Um Patches, this is your favorite movie of the year. It is. It is. Do you still feel that way since we recorded or, the top ten? Have you been swayed in the Have last I been 10 scoffed so? to death by David? <laughs> by haters like David? Uh, haters. I have not. You're I a persist. garbage man and uh what, sorry. <laughs> oh, Doorman so and garbage man. I'm all of these. Everybody drink. Um yeah, I adore this film. Do we need to set this up at all or Yeah. Um Let's see. What is the what is the gist here? What, what is the cross section between people listening to this podcast who are unfamiliar with her? I still think we should set it up, but still, I'd imagine it's a very I, small. I, it's full sliver. of technology and high waisted pants. Hopefully, people went out to see it as soon as it opened wide. But in case they didn't, um, this film stars Joaquin Phoenix as Theodore Twombly, um, who recently got a divorce, and he is a professional love letter writer. Because yeah, that is a job in the near future when people. It's just a letter writer, isn't it? Like, doesn't he's I'm like writing? Sure. Fake, isn't he writing? Uh, the, fake I thought fake? his job was one of the. I mean, I'm not going to interfere and jump in and start digging on the movie, but I did think for, since it is the first scene in the film proper, it is one of the more underdeveloped really? parts I'd, of the film. I'm, I'm, I'd be confident to say that he's a love letter writer. He writes like these poetic love letters to people. Well, or, he's also writing least... like thank you notes from kids to their grandma. Okay, that's fair. So he's he's a letter writer. Um, uh, the job just seemed. Uh, <laughs> Wait, David, David okay, hang on. Okay, We're doing okay. the setup. I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on. Anyway, he 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 puts pen to paper, or he he puts thoughts, romantic ideas, whether you they're real love romance or or poetic romance uh, to paper for other people. And um, he's coming off a divorce, and you know he's kind of coasting through life. He plays video games all day. He's really retreating. He's finding any comfort he can. And uh, one day he decides to up his operating system. There's a new operating system on the market. He goes for it uh, with his phone, his computer. It's all synced up in the future uh, or the present. Um, and the cloud he... finally works. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's funny because I can barely get internet where I currently am. So this is a bit of a miracle. Anyway, um, and so he upgrades and lo and behold, he, he kind of falls for this artificial intelligence that is now his, his companion. That's kind of running his life. And her name is Samantha voiced by Scarlett Johansson. And she is basically the perfect woman. At least she's responding to everything that he wants and conversing with him and, and learning about him and being emotional. And the relationship becomes deeper and deeper and deeper over time. Um, and and then things play out that way. I don't know how many uh, spoilers we'll get into as, as their relationship escalates, but it certainly does. It becomes a very tangible thing, despite, you know, I was amazed that this was not a Lars and the Real Girl type thing that is all about people being like, oh, you're dating a computer? That's crazy. Um, and, and Jimmy Stewart's in this movie? Oh, no, you're dating a computer? 
They could have uh, Lars and the Real Girl was so uh, it was so aggressive. They actually could have made it when Jimmy Stewart was in his prime. <laughs> That's true. Wow, I would have seen that. Um, but yes, so now I hand it off to I guess other people. Wait, patches. Or... Before you hand it off, I want to know like why. I mean, I think that a lot of the details of this movie, as David was trying to get into, and a lot of the concept does sound like it would be kind of ridiculous. Like, oh, you're dating your computer, and like men don't understand how to communicate with people, and she's your dream girl. I mean, the the whole manic pixie dream girl thing that's way overused at this point has been lobbed at her. Why do you feel like? It but it is. That I mean, test? it's about that. It's about yeah, but, but why is it not then the most annoying thing in the world? Because it's not without um, punishment. It's not without complexity. It's it, there's no deed goes unpunished here. I, I mean, I think that manic pixie dream girls drive people nuts because they have all the answers and it all kind of works out. And there might be a dip in the relationship. Something might go sour, but in the end, it it all it's all kind of fluffy because they are perfect. They're ideal, and they are. Crafted but I think like the men. archetype works in for the most part. It's used at least uh, as a way of uh, distracting from the answers. Rather than providing the answers, they simply nullify the question so that the guy doesn't, until the third act, of course, uh, start digging into himself and realizing what he has to do to change. Uh, but rather, just sort of focuses on this magical ball of energy until. Uh, it, it's complicated. But he anyway. does. I mean, that's isn't that the point? You're suggesting that in the third act, that does go off course, and it does have ramifications. I mean, right? I, I mean, I was, have to I was be, making a, oh. a semantic argument, and just saying that it's not. Um, it, it's not that the Manny Pixie Dream Girl is is perfect and represents all the. It's that she seems perfect. I guess would be the difference, right? And that's why I think it's commentary on that because so often in media we're, we're striving for perfection. Um, and it and in fiction, it doesn't usually blow up in our faces. But in in reality, even in a heightened reality like this, in this futuristic setting, um, our attempts at finding perfection are really just going to fall apart in the end. We shouldn't be striving for it because um, it's 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 really a dream. And though technology is all about the best, about perfection. Um, I don't know if we can attain that, and neither can we in our relationships. And I think that's what Theodore's arc is really about, um, finding comfort in the easy, finding comfort in the perfect, um, and then and then realizing that what he has around him, closest to him, the people, the real people in his life, um, despite being imperfect, are actually great for him. But what about what you were just saying, including the technology aspect in, in some regard, is different than I feel like this is going to be an interrogation the, the case that was scary. made in Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind Internal not, Sunshine Eternal Internal. <laughs> Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a very different movie it's like Adventures of uh, it's the uh, oh. not a not a triple X parody what's that movie where they uh, go inside a human body Inner Space yes David I think they're they're different movies that do complement each other because I think Eternal Sunshine is about that moment afterward about escaping and deleting memories obviously um and it's about putting people behind us and this is really finding alternatives it's about recoiling into other relationships and that that rebound um or the or the dream the alternative that we think we have so where whereas eternal sunshine is about uh, escaping toxic relationships this is about seeming to find um, the perfect one, and what well, true I, love is all about. 
I don't want to get sidetracked. I don't think that's what Eternal Sunshine is about. But uh, but I was uh, that was I'm that tr- question. I mean, I'm trying to contextualize. A, I'm trying to contextualize within her. I'm yeah, that question was more lobbied at you as a devil's advocate sort of thing because it, the way you described it, it sounded like you could have just swapped out the title of her for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless uh, Mind to me. But I don't think that's necessarily true of the movie. Uh, Katie, did you want to talk about? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess the thing that I mean, I agree with a lot of what Patches is saying. I'm also a pretty big fan of this movie, and I think. Like while the details are interesting in this picture of a future life, and I think that the honesty of the way it addresses the way we interact with the world around us and the technology that influences the world around us is kind of the cliched thing to talk about because everyone always wants to talk about putting your phone away at dinner. But there's a lot of truth in there that I think is maybe even hard to grasp because we're so in the middle of it. But what really resonated with me about this movie is the way that it's about not just relationships, but it's about kind of meshing your identity with somebody else and the way that you know, they, this relationship starts between Theodore and his operating system and she exists just to be part of his life. Like she's entire, she's a tool of his existence. And in a way that's kind of getting at the intimacy that you go for in a relationship where they can rifle through your inbox and help you sort things out and know what you're thinking and be intuitive for you. And then the way that that becomes complicated as she begins to develop more of a consciousness of her own. I think that's such a fascinating push and pull in any relationship with a human. And then we have this computer that provides this really interesting kind of fantasy version of that that kind of makes those lines sharper than they would be with actual humans. I think that like for me, that was what works best about the movie is the, uh, the, the, the sort of idea of them on these opposite trajectories. He, you know, sort of becoming more of a person and she becoming more of a self-aware sentient AI. And the moment in which they briefly, you know, sublimely meet in the middle uh, and then begin, you know, continue traveling along their uh, opposed trajectories until they can no longer sustain a relationship. I mean, spoiler, I don't know if that's a spoiler, but I mean, essentially, they are dovetailing consciousnesses that that meet for a beautiful, brief moment, which I think uh, is in some ways a microcosm for all relationships. And then uh, they are sort of split away from there. I think that's what the movie does best. Um, I do think that the reason that I like the movie quite a bit, I don't think Spike Jones is necessarily capable of making a bad movie. Um, I think that he is simply too smart and in command of his craft. And uh, his ideas are whether or not they're a bit recycled in this case, uh, or even if they're adapted from children's books, they are uh, executed with just too much sensitivity matched, uh, I think, where the wild, uh, things, where the wild are. things are. Oh. Um, you assume uh, that was just. A I'm like, is that a dig at her? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. This. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so I certainly don't think that this is a, a bad film by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think that it is so gentle and general that it really couldn't get under my skin. Uh, there, it's it's diametrically opposed to something like, um, well, the useless comparison that I that I made is the. Hirokazu Koreeda film Air Doll, which never got a release over here, but I love and it's not helpful to talk about. Uh, but if you do get a chance to see Air Doll, you should see it. But a more uh, immediate one would be something like Before Midnight, which is so specific in particular that it, it sort of achieves the universal through that. Um, you know, they're so biting. The relationship between Jesse and Selene is so uh, exact that you can extrapolate from it how it pertains to your own life. But Theodore Twombly, who is not. Uh, he, he's he's so basic. He's like relatable to the point that he's not – he's less of a human than she is, which again is intentional in some respects. Uh, and 
I just never really cared about his character. I thought that his suffering in relation to his divorce with Rooney Mara's character, who has often been discussed as playing Sofia Coppola's stand-in in the way that Giovanni Ribisi was yeah, Spike Jonze's stand-in in Lost in Translation. Yeah, but I mean, I just I think that it's it's very general, and I really felt the sting of that when I I realized how much more I was getting off on the ideas of the film than I was in how they were being relayed to me. Uh, there's the sequence where they go out to his cabin or a cabin, I forget who owns it, but uh, um, and everything is really working conceptually very very well, and then when it you're supposed to feel personal you know, loss for him and, and how the story develops from there. And then eventually for me really just peters out in the last five minutes. Uh, I just realized that like it, it, it was a really neat and, and gentle corduroy assemblage of ideas, but it maybe, just, it, but it I felt like that was reflective of what Jones was going after in terms of his themes. I mean, I think that Joaquin's Theodore can't really come to life in the state that he's in or with, the relationship that he kind of dives into it's it is supposed to be kind of free floating and 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 ambiguous and simple and you know too comfortable too easy too too amorphous and he doesn't need to really become a person or challenge himself or consider his feelings when he's so when he's served so perfectly by Samantha i mean i i i totally get what you are saying about kind of these broad strokes and um, you know, the, the technology, the conceptualization of this future world and how they interact with each other on that basis. Um, to your point, I do want to say, I do want to say that like the, the idea of singularity that like this is, he is just the man and she's the, uh, the OS, the, the AI, uh, I think it's definitely intentional. There's this idea that people are becoming more like computers and computers are becoming more like people and, you know, the twain will meet briefly before sputtering wildly away. And I, I think it's intentional that he is supposed to sort of be a broad stand-in for all of us. Uh, but I think what happens is that in doing so, it becomes very gentle and hands-off. There's, like, love is uh, – it can be violent and and, and – I think it's more painful because of how particular it is and it doesn't – I think I just I, – the best love stories for me are ones that uh, capitalize on the personal rather than exploiting the general and uh, I think it's something that was done very, very well again to – and I, I don't want to rake Spike Jones over the coals for movies he's already made that I think are similar but better. But the relationships that have to do with transference in being John Malkovich, which I think is really similar to this based on how it uses vessels and, and uh, you know, where people end to begin, etc. There's so much more personal that they tap into, I don't know, my interests a lot more immediately. But of course, I, you know, when they, when they shoot this movie in Shanghai and L.A. and it's like this whole world becoming one city that is not readily identifiable as one or the other. I mean, that speaks to what we were talking about. That it is, it is intentional. Yeah, and there's something really amazing about the specificity, not of the characters, but of the world as it's designed. I mean, people are kind of obsessed with the production design of this in a way that, I mean, it's very noticeable, but it doesn't take away from you watching the movie, which is a really rare thing. And I think that's because it gets in the specifics and it kind of builds this world in a way that you can imagine, but not quite imagine. And I, I think as just as you're saying, it's intentionally vague with the characters. I think it's intentionally specific with that. It's kind of taking you inside that and basically asking you to put yourself in these avatars and experience what avatar. living in this world. Avatar. <laughs> that's right. I only want to talk about avatar. 
Um, in due time. <laughs> I, just, I like that combination. I like the kind of push-pull between the, you know, I do, I do think there's a vagueness to Theodore. I think, you know, maybe the parts of the movie where I can kind of step back and recognize that, like, maybe him writing for beautifulhandwrittenletters.com is not the sharpest plot device. Um, but I don't saying, mind like, that. Getting, paying, paying a service to write your grandmother a letter is the same pain in the ass that writing the letter, the, the one sentence email to wish her happy birthday is. That's what I was like, I don't, I'm sorry. Wait, it's but the that's thought. why it's so backwards. That's the whole point. <laughs> no, but it's just like, it's, I, I, I understand. I, I just didn't, I, I, I feel like you don't this. actually – I mean you don't dislike this movie. I just don't think this one is I, – I don't think there's anything wrong with going broad in the way that Jones does here because he's trying to speak to universal – not problems but just like trajectories for human existence. Um, and I think you can play broad and be successful because of kind of what Katie was saying. The world seems developed and – Theodore seems like a kind of complacent stand-in for almost everybody in this place. Everyone's walking around with their phones in. It's not judgmental for that. It's just showing kind of this general swell of of everyone being the same, this homogenous existence for our future. And to be able to, for Theodore to be writing letters for people to be, for people to be okay with that um, is part of that. It's just like, it doesn't matter who writes anything because we're all just living the exact same life. And it kind of has to be big and broad like that. And I feel like by having Amy's character, Amy Adams' character, Amy, um, no, your best of, friend, Amy, like this oh. divorce amidst this uh, amidst Theodore's story is almost like a glimmer of actual personality and diversity that is is slowly destroyed. You know, mm-hmm. now we go back to our jobs and we're all making games, and it's it's a simple life again. And these two can't look each other in the eyes and realize that maybe they could come to life again if they connected. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, comparing it to being John Malkovich and being hyper specific and kind of drilling into one part of a relationship or clashing violently. Uh, it, it's just not this movie's. Uh, it's not. It's not what this movie is chasing, and, and it certainly wouldn't serve the story to be hyper specific. I think in that way, it wouldn't really complement the world. Uh, this kind of futurism that it's setting out to, to explore. Mm. <laughs> You stopped him. Uh, no, uh, David, I, 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 yeah. I do want to hear I, about Wait, this. I do all I, okay. before we talk about Sofia Coppola, I yes. want to throw Arcade Fire under the bus really quickly. No! Uh, I think that, uh, right, first of all, I, I like Arcade Fire fine. I think Reflector is a nightmare uh, and the fact that it's essentially. <laughs> I actually uh, think you know, the soundtrack is better than Reflector. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be hard to be better than Reflector, but it's just like the Super Symmetry, the song that is, you know, was actually written for this movie and appears in the, uh, on Reflector, uh, that like very do 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 that yeah. you hear in the commercials and whatnot, I think is like all of my problems with the movie in a sound. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, what would you like to talk about? about oh, Sophia I'm just Coppola? curious if you find that interesting at all because you don't seem to be interested in the personal lives of anyone who makes movies, but I, I'm super intrigued by the idea of this as kind of a <laughs> weird companion piece to Lost in Translation. Like, do you see validity in that? Yeah, oh, totally. I mean, like I was watching the movie. It's funny. to. I mean, I'm not saying that I am so much more uh, intuitive than all these other people. I am just it just so happens that because I'm obsessed with Sofia Coppola, I'm very attuned to that 
element of the movie and watching it the first time at the New York Film Festival, I immediately was like, oh, she's Sofia Coppola. I get it. Like, uh, it's, so it's funny for me to see all these think pieces coming out now. But um, I didn't really think much of it because I was like, okay, so there was her side. She was a little bit crueler to him than he is to her. I would say so. Uh, but it was also the year that they got divorced rather than 10 years later. Yeah. Um, He's you know, a bit I, more I reflective do, on her then. Right. Uh, I mean, unless they're going to go on the record and say, uh, you know, this is what motivated this part of the movie or whatnot. I always hate to, to speculate in that regard, but um, – yeah, I mean, I do think that it's it's a nice little ellipsis. I don't think that it resists that interpretation at all. Um, I think that it if if Lost in Translation sort of opened or identified a wound, this does a nice job of closing it. Um, I do and, like the way that the movie treats the Rooney Mara character. Like, I don't know that that I means she's not like the most interestingly developed character or anything, but the reasons for their breakup and kind of the way that she emerges in the story, I think it's a really smart way to address how people can grow apart and how, I don't know, like just because he's the guy who like stayed in love and is mooning over her and she's kind of moved on and gotten her shit together. Doesn't make her a bad person. That's a, right. that's a rare attitude toward breakups in movies. Yeah, I mean, it's the same. It's the same thing as we were talking about before midnight, where like just because he's calm doesn't mean that he's right. You yeah, know? it's the uh, it's the similar idea, and I do think that uh, it's very traditional, or at least in our like our modern indie movie sphere, the way that the movie treats her. When you see these sort of semi improvised scenes of them running and whatever, scored to lilting music, and uh, it's very easy to but that's get that emotion so that's out, but, necessary because that is again yeah, yeah, yeah. like. Memories filtered through media. This isn't just like reality. This is reality twisted by technology and I think that's totally appropriate to have it be shamelessly artificial in that way. I I, I just think that's all spot on. That's all intentional. Yeah. Uh, I just – I wish – you know, I wish I, I just cared or liked Theodore – or cared about or liked Theodore more. I mean I, I hate that idea that you have to like characters in movies and most of my – a lot of my favorite movies. Uh, that thought never really crosses my mind. But Theodore Twombly just seemed like such a <laughs> – like, like I just like didn't – whatever. Uh, but I do think and – and I was like, oh, Rooney Mara. Go. Be free. <laughs> yeah. I mean I was kind of rooting for her too. Like clearly – no, she you know, she's kind of right. It is weird that he's can only date his computer. But it, of course, I mean I do like that the movie on the flip side of that doesn't mock him for uh there would be no movie if Spike Jones mocked him for liking his computer. But it certainly doesn't. And of course, the Amy Adams character, who everyone knew, it was insane to me. They're talking about awards and stuff because, like, she barely registers for me in the movie. Uh, but she serves a function in the screenplay, which is but it's a good, sort of validate that. It's a good character. It's nice that they show them as being friends. Like, the, the way that the layers of their friendship work and that what they say about him and what they say about, you know, the, the society as a whole, like her relationship with her own AI. I really like the way that character is used. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's a cute movie. I just I wish uh, it felt to me sort of like an echo of uh, more interesting movies with similar things on its mind. And I, I this focus on technology in particular, um, and what we were talking about about you know human and, and AI sort of meeting in the middle. It was a lot, but didn't quite get me there. But I have to Don't say wish- that I, I think I was charged by the the filmmaking as well. I mean, I certainly love. The design and the cinematography, and just like mm. I kind of ate all parts. You of guys stuff. weren't. I, I know a lot of people really love the uh, the video game hologram character that Spike Jones voices uh, in the movie. I believe that he voiced it to sort of 
uh, vent his frustrations because it's a very foul-mouthed little video game creature. <laughs> and he, when he was writing the script, he'd be like, fuck you and fuck that. I mean, he'd like as a process of venting for himself. But I found the character, I don't know. I mean, I think it's supposed to be juvenile because it's supposed to be the kind of thing that teenage boys would buy in a video game. But it was like little details that was like, I totally believe this is future technology, but it's also just sort of annoying. <laughs> I well, mean, David, what? the future is the future is going to be annoying. Yeah, you're right. hating. Oh, the present is. You annoying, already know so. you're going to hate the future. <laughs> David, are like the present. Live in the moment for for just a trace of enjoyment, because wait until like twenty years from now, it's going to be hell for you. Sorry. We watch David watching a Rangers game while playing trivia. He doesn't understand what living in the moment is. <laughs> I was living in the moment. The moment just happened to be on another borough. <laughs> I was split. I was in two moments at once. That's true. Just wow. like uh, just like Samantha. Indeed. Hey, Patches, what was this week's lightning round question? Um, yes, it was in honor of Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, directed by Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> or is it Sir Kenneth Branagh? Kenneth I don't actually know. Branagh. Branagh. Achoo. Um, who is your who is your favorite British actor turned director? Getting specific there. Um, David, you go first. Oh, geez. Uh, well, a lot of people said Charlie Chaplin. Uh, and I think that, you know, you put a gun to my head. That is almost the objective correct answer. Uh, he was an actor technically before he was a filmmaker. Of course, he was also an actor when he was a filmmaker, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's there's there are other interesting answers that are probably more fun and less expected that I will leave to you guys. But to everyone who said Charlie Chaplin, let me represent your voice. <laughs> Find your voice. Um, um, oh, you go. Well, the I'm just I'm the lack of answers and the fact that I haven't seen one of the things that's listed as the means I'm going to go with my colleague Richard Lawson who picked Madonna. Wow. Yes. She's fake British, and she makes terrible movies. Way to pull so a curtain back there. I know. I've really, uh, I've really revealed everything. It's all nepotism. Have you seen a Madonna film? Have I seen? That's a good question. I don't think I have, don't actually. Cry for me, I've seen a Vita. She didn't direct she it. She didn't direct that. Oh, oh, you mean a – sorry. A Madonna, no, no one has ever seen a Madonna oh, directed I film. mean, I, I've seen A League of Their Own. Let's be real here. W. A hundred times. You w. now have to watch W.E. to to make up I know, because fact. I trashed her filmmaking. Ugh, you stink. I am going to go with at Hedgerose, uh, Zoe. Isn't that Hedgerose? He- he- it's a word. Hedgerose. It's a word, Badges. Hedgerose. It's an English word. Hedgerose. I know you're in the mountains of Utah. <laughs> I actually am kind of suffering from uh, changing altitudes and drinking. <laughs> so You've already been drinking? Uh, no, no. Uh, Zoe said it has to be Richard Ayuade. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I cannot say definitively. Okay, I good. thought it was Ayuade. Ayuade, okay. He, uh, Submarine was an incredible debut effort, and now I can't wait to see The Double, which is playing the here at Sundance. The Double is so good. Yes, I'm, I'm excited. Oh, are you seeing it at Sundance? Probably not, because I feel like it's right around the corner. And <laughs> It'll also already. be at New Director's New Film yeah. oh, in New York. So I'll wait. Um, but I am I'm very excited to see that film, and I think he's a great film. I think he's a great actor, too. He's very funny on the IT crowd. That's a great pick. None of you decided to go my direction and cheat and say Sarah Polly as a uh, Canadian citizen. Yes, just well, uh, we Canada does not count as the UK, sorry. We'll see. Not Anyways. 
All right. Thank you for listening to today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week with a more normal recording schedule, hopefully, although set patches will still be at Sundance. So uh, look forward to him being uh, tweeting sleep depri- deprived from yes. Cat Dance as much as possible. Please <laughs> yeah. go back to Cat Dance. That's Me? the only thing I request from you. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am. Uh, at, oh, my. Go. Get off my. Go. I am go. Matt Patches. <laughs> I write on the internet and live in the mountains. And I saw Mitt Romney today at a grocery store. What? And uh, no. I'll tell you all about it next week on the Sundance episode. <laughs> oh my god! And uh, uh, you can find all my work at mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. Wait, you really saw Mitt Romney? I really did. That's like a Utah what? That's I know. amazing. I was too embarrassed. <laughs> that is incredible. To take, I was too embarrassed to take a picture. But he was, was he, um, like, looking with at guards. Ban- he was looking at bananas, and uh, I was just standing there with salad in my hand. Was he at that one grocery store in Sundance? Yeah. What? You should have been like, you Mitt know, Romney you and know I shop Barack at the Obama same grocery right store. <laughs> well, there's one grocery store in all I'm trying of to figure city. out what percent that makes me. But anyway. <laughs> Barack 72, Obama is not probably. Wrap this thing up. David? Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the senior editor of – I'm the only editor of Film.com. <laughs> Drop the senior. Um, uh, on Film.com, uh, you can find me and Matt – people on and on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at film D-O-T-C-O-M I'm Katie Rich you can find me at the beautiful Vanity Fairs Hollywood which exists and it's gorgeous and I'm very excited about this relaunch um, you can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich K-A-T-E-Y R-I-C-H thank you for listening enjoy your shopping with Mitt Romney everyone and uh, we'll see you next week mm-hmm.